Hi. Oh, what a nice day. What a nice time, huh? It's been, been, been a blessing to me. I, uh, oh, by the way, uh, somebody, the cook handed me this set of Joe and Charlie tapes, our CDs that was left in the hallway. If you can tell me the number I've written inside, I'll give them back to you. <laughs> get more sets of CDs that way. <laughs> but that, the cook found them in the hall and wanted me to tell you that. And, uh, you know, we're, t- we're going to be talking this morning about step 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Is that for me? <laughs> um, and a lot of times we struggle for a parameter of what we need and, 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 and when do we need to when do we need to make an amends? And there's a wonderful guide to its 10-step uh, amends and inventory, and it's on page 99 of the 12 and 12. And it's, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith, and where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, and it is by forg- one, it is by forgiving that one is forgiving, forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. That's kind of my mode on my tenth step when I look at my life and how I'm behaving today. How does it hold up to that? Now, is that too much to ask? Actually, no. It's not too much to ask at all if we're trying, really trying to surrender and live in God's way. Uh, I say grace at every meal, and uh, people think... Uh, Oh, isn't that something? Well, you know why I started to say grace? In the 10th step, they ask you to take a spot inventory. Remember that? And I thought, man, how am I ever going to remember to do, take a spot inventory? And I think, what do I do a lot? I eat. So I started saying grace to do my spot inventories and just ask myself while I'm saying, Grace, who's in charge here, Ed? You or God? Who's in charge here? You or God? And step 10 is so important in so many ways because... Uh, and there's so many different aspects of step 10. A guy I sponsor said my best step 10 work is when I put this in gear before I put this in gear. Mm-hmm. that good? My best step 10 work is when I put this in gear before I put this in gear. I don't know about you, but for a long time I just had a smart remark for everything. That has nothing to do with what I just read. That is about as far away from what I just read as possible. But I always had a cute, smart remark. Another thing I'd always do is offer unsolicited advice or correction. Thank you very much. (laughs) Why? Because you needed it. (laughs) I don't do that anymore. Because uh, I don't give advice unless it's asked for. Did I hunt any of you down and say, come see me so we can talk for 15 minutes? Those who wanted my input came. And that's just the way I like it. 
Now, how did I learn that? It's because for a long time I would go around giving unsolicited advice at any given moment. I'd hear somebody in a meeting, and maybe right in the meeting I'd say, you know, you're wrong. (laughs) Why would? Step 10 is... uh, for me is, is saying a kind and loving thing rather than a sarcastic, quick-witted, show-you-how-intelligent-and-alert-I-am comment. Because if step ten is you're still all about you, you've missed something in the first nine. You know, the promises uh, are at the end of step nine, and they're red and they're red and they're red, uh, and I wonder how often people understand that they're a promise. They're a promise to you. If you do what's here, this is what's promised. They always uh, talk about these being the promises. I was in Washington, D.C. about three weeks ago, and a, a, a guy came up to me, and uh, he couldn't sleep one night, so he went through the book and counted all the promises. There's 234. And he listed them for me. But uh, listen to the promises once again and see if maybe you got a taste of them this weekend. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Oh, I see that in a lot of eyes. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Suddenly we realize that God is doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But listen to this last line. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, what a promise. What a promise. And uh, that's why I do retreats like this. That's why I do 12-step retreats. Because in 1988, when I'd lost everything one more time and I read those promises, I had to tell you that they weren't true in my life. And I knew that the promises were true, so there had to be something wrong that I was doing. As I stand here today, I can tell you unequivocally that they are true in my life, as well as that St. Francis prayer the vast majority of time. And uh, if that's the way you want to live, it's in your lap. It's in your lap. Step 10 needs to be worked at your work. It's not just with people in the fellowship who can hold you accountable. It's with those people who don't even know you're in the program. When you're wrong, promptly admit it. Promptly. 
is the key word. It doesn't say when you feel like it, when you think they deserve it. It doesn't say any of that. It says promptly admit it. Promptly admit it. And I'll tell you what it is for me. When I promptly admit it, I don't carry it with me. And when I promptly admit it, it's gone. When I don't promptly admit it, it eats away at my very being. My soul, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, used to have a wonderful greeting, at least I love it. He would greet everyone with, how is it with your soul? Yeah, there you go. Let's talk real. You know, how is it with your soul? God, I love that greeting. Step 10 is how are we treating other people? Are we being encouraging or discouraging? I was uh, two and a half years sober. I was in a terrible, deep depression. I, I, I knew that life just wasn't worth living, and AA was nice for you folks, and you were a nice bunch of people, but it wasn't working for me. And my plan was to go to my sponsor's house, turn on all the gas to the big coffee pots he has in his garage, where I was living at the time, and just go to sleep. No notes, no dramatics, no nothing. And I stopped by a, a, a AA club in Santa Monica. There was a guy, Jimmy R. Jimmy was from Texas. Jimmy had a deep southern accent. Jimmy was a rapid-fire type of guy. He'd talk rapid-fire. He'd rub his hands together like this. He said, one time I asked some psychologists why I rub my hands together like this. He said, he told me, he said, I smacked him right in the mouth, you know. <laughs> Jimmy was just rapid-fire. He'd give you three talks, a type of what? Boy, he'd just rapid-fire. You had to hang on to your seat when you listened to Jimmy. And, just... and I walked in there that day, and I told you my plan, and it was just as sincere as any plan I'd ever made. And I walked in there, and Jimmy was in the club, and I said, Jimmy, how are you? And it was like the world stopped. And he looked me right in my eye. And he said, I'm much better for seeing you, my friend. I'm much better for seeing you. He saved my life that day. He didn't know it. I do. Because I thought, you know, if Jimmy likes me, maybe I got it all wrong. I'll give it another day and kill me tomorrow because it's a day at a time and I need to tell you too that I no longer have had those depressions for like 25 years and the only therapy I've had is Alcoholics Anonymous and my faith and that's not to say one's right or wrong and the other I'm just here to share my experience and uh, mine is everlasting and doesn't have to be refilled every 30 days you know uh, and, and I encourage you to, to seek those kind of answers as well But step 10 is, uh, how are you treating your fellow human beings? Uh, What about if you started honoring everybody you came in contact with? When I go into a restaurant, wherever I go, if someone's waiting on me, I make sure they know I appreciate them. I have told the cook here that I enjoyed his food immensely and I appreciate the love he puts in it. Now, why do I do that? Because I want to honor everybody I come in contact with. Why? Because I've dishonored so many people for so long. It is not a guilt. It is not a payback. This is the way I want to live. This is the way I want to live. When I meet you, I'd rather your day be lifted than detracted from. You know? And when you work steps one through nine and you experience those promises, it's a lot easier to do that. If you're hanging on to all that rage and resentment and regret about yesterday's, 
and how many times you slip. You know what? Nobody's keeping track except you. It's just not important. Are you sober today? Stay that way one day at a time. That's what's important. You know? How are you doing at step 10 with your family? When was the last time you had random acts of kindness for your spouse or your children? When was, when was the last time you just thought of kind things to do for no particular reason? My old friend Chuck said to me one time, he said, Ed, you got to be good for nothing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, just be good. <laughs> what wisdom. What a way to go. There's another step, Tim. If I do something for you, am I expecting something back? If I am, guess what? Don't count. Just doesn't count. Am I living the example? If, if someone accused you of being a good member of your 12-step program, is there enough evidence to convict you? If I went to your co-workers and said you claim to be happy, joyous, and free, would they testify yay or nay? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Because later we're going to be talking about practicing these principles in all our affairs, not just in these rooms for an hour. Anybody can simulate recovery for that long, and a lot of people do. That's why they never get sober. It's always simulation rather than action on the steps and principles that we've been given. Step 10 also is the first place in the program where it says, you know, start looking at your assets too. Did you know that? It's the first place that tells you start looking at your assets. You know why? If you've done these steps, your thinking has been cleared of wrong motives and you got a better idea of who you've been than ever before. How many here were told when they were young, you have so much potential? <laughs> oh, you can do anything you want. <laughs> I'm here to tell you something. They've always been right and you've always been wrong. Step 10 is being correct about the gifts God gave me. I had a wonderful talk about humility yesterday. And you know, a lot of people would say, uh, Lynn Carroll, who, who founded Hazleton, uh, you'll never see his name attached with it because he was just an AA guy. Uh, but he founded Hazleton and got it going and then they booted him out. But he... Uh, he used to say something uh, uh, that just touched me. He said, you know, a lot of people would say humility is if you played the piano, if somebody come and ask you, would you play for us? They would think humility would be, oh, oh, I couldn't. Oh. He said, true humility is when you play the piano and someone asks you to play, you say, it would be my privilege. How's the humility in your life? where your worth is concerned. And if it hasn't changed, why? Isn't it time? Isn't it time for you to start treating yourself as if you're actually a human being too? Instead of some sort of cosmic mistake that just happened. And you're just lucky to be around and as soon as they figure you out, you won't be here long anyway. How about if you started looking at the gifts God gave you and the dreams that you have 
and start giving them credibility instead of dismissing them. Because one of my thoughts are, whatever dreams you've been given, I don't care when they were, is God whispering in your ear. And when they seem more impossible than ever, that's when he whispers a little louder. And my job is to follow that dream. Not to follow what you tell me. To follow that dream. And there's a lot of dreams in this room that are unaccomplished. There are a lot of dreams in this room that have been forgotten for years. Sometimes over 50, I'll bet. And step 10 is correcting that wrong and start listening to the dreams and the encouragement that God's given you. That's what step 10 is about to me. It's powerful. I can do anything I want to do. A month ago, God said, you know, Ed, you should get your doctorate in psychology. And I thought, why? <laughs> and he said, so you can argue with those pukes on an even level. <laughs> and I said, you got it. I signed up. I'm starting in July for my doctorate in psychology. That's what I need to do to give what I say more credibility. So be it. I'm tired of seeing people die right and left from the experts. Now, understand there are some good, wonderful people out there, but they are so far outnumbered by the ignorance of addiction that it's horrifying. It's horrifying. I have a friend who's she's 16 years sober. She went to a meeting the other day, and there were 18 women, and she was the only one not on medication. The only one. She was horrified. And I said, she said, what do I do? And I said, people like you and I got to hang together because they'll die off and they'll go away eventually. And then we can regroom what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. You know? Step 10. How well have you been carrying the message? If at all. You know what I hear commonly in AA anymore? Well, I'm focusing on my recovery first. Oh, really? Thank God Bill and Bob didn't feel that way. They wouldn't have met on Mother's Day in 1935. Because what was Bill doing? Looking for somebody to help. When was the last time you looked for somebody to help? When was the last time you walked into a meeting and said, Who can I help here? Who can I share this gift with? I'm reading a book upstairs about the equation between the Bible and the big book. And there's a statement in there in the early days, uh, success rate of Alcoholics Anonymous was 70 to 96%. And that was for some years. It's probably three to four now. And you may think that's an exaggeration, but any of you been in treatment, think of the graduating class, how many are still sober, do your own math. And I think there's several reasons for that. One, people are rushed into treatment long before they're ready. Then they're exposed to AA and they're not ready and they say, that's a load of crap, I don't need that, and then they never come back. How are you carrying the message that you've been given? I was talking with somebody last night and they said, you know, i got to love myself before I can love somebody else. And I went, that's a load of crap. Oh, really, is this popular because it's all about me, me first? Oh, good idea for addicted people. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. My dreams come true. Yeah. 
I fell in love with you long before I knew how to love me. In fact, loving you made it easier to love me. You showed me how. By the way you treated me. You know? How are you doing in the love area, showing people how to love themselves? Oh, not just in AA. That kid that you're ready to pull out all your hair, you know? Uh, you can see what's happened to mine. <laughs> How are you doing there? And most importantly about step 10, on the top of page 86, it tells you how to end every day. And people dismiss that, but it's one of the most important parts of this step because what you do there is the common term is we have closure of the day. You look at that day, you ask for clarity, you see what you've been done wrong, and they say, don't beat yourself up. That ain't going to help anybody. Ask God for forgiveness and what corrective measures you should take, and then go to bed, and then you know what you do? You file that day away. Don't bring it tomorrow. You've missed the point if you bring it tomorrow. Because we live a day at a time. How many here are having a bad day because of what's happened today? Or let's go back to Friday. How many were having a bad day because of what happened Friday? I almost guarantee it was something happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, five years ago. We just bring it on forward. You know, they talk about paying it forward with kindness. Well, we can pay it forward with worry, too. We can really pay it forward with worry and and regret and remorse and sadness and unforgiveness, spirit of unforgiveness. But on step 10, I mentioned it a little earlier, to start treating yourself as if you're an actual human being, as if you're one of God's kids too. And people say, how do I do that? And I say, treat yourself with the same understanding and love you would a good friend who's going through the same circumstances. How would you treat them? You'd probably be nurturing and kind and supportive and say, you know, I'll do anything that you need me to do to help you through this. Yet when we make the same mistake, what do we do? Oh, how could you? Oh, you shouldn't know. But, oh, jeez. <laughs> You're just disgusting. You're not any better at all. You're just... <laughs> better do a step ten on that because that's called child abuse. You're a child of God. You've got to stop abusing you. And it's up to you to stop it. It ain't going to stop by me telling you. It's going to stop by you doing it. Refusing to abuse yourself anymore one day at a time. And learn how to treat yourself as if you actually like you. Treat yourself the way you would somebody you loved and respected. How to do a good step 10 too is when you're walking down the street and you want to say something, just ask yourself, would I be saying or doing the same thing if my sponsor was standing right here? Would I be doing, saying or doing this if somebody I loved and respected was standing right here? You'd be amazed how many times you wouldn't come even close to doing what you're about to do. And that can be your guide for step 10. I told you I was manager of the Harlem Globetrotters and Metalark Lemon, who many of you remember, I'm sure. He was the clown prince of basketball for a number of years, and he's just an amazing man, and he is one of my dear, dear friends. Well, that's an appropriate story for step 10. I don't share this often because it's usually nobody's business. When I was with the Globetrotters, 
I had gotten married and things weren't going the best. And the president of the Globetrotters said, Ed, we're, uh, we're going to run Metalark Lemon out of the Harlem Globetrotters. We want the team to be a star rather than an individual. And he said, if you help us do this, you'll have a job for life. And I said, okay. And I quit giving my friend his suite that he had had for 27 years. Quit giving him any extra preferential treatment. Uh, the last day on the bus in France, he tore off his jersey and threw it at me and said, I'll never put that uniform on again. And it broke my heart. And he left. And you know, on that summer break, my spirit was broken and I couldn't figure out why. I went back to work and I really didn't care much for it. And uh, that woman that I was engaged to and I said, you know, I really don't think we should get married, tried to commit suicide. And the Atlanta Times read an, run an article about the managers of the Harlem Globetrotters' wife attempting suicide in a local hotel. So I was dismissed. And I went home and I ached for months. I walked the floor all night. And for a long time I was thinking, you know, the best job I ever had and I blew it somehow. I just blew it. I lost priority. I lost everything. I. I I just blew it somehow. And then one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I re realized what was bothering me. And I called Metalark at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, uh, I have no defense for what I did. I betrayed our friendship, and I have no defense. I just hope that someday you can forgive me. And he said, yeah, click. And about three weeks later, he called me up. And uh, it was kind of a strange phone call. He was talking to me, yet he wasn't talking to me. And a couple weeks after that, he called me up, and I knew he had started a new team, and he was out. And about six weeks later, after that initial call, he called me up, and he said, Ed, he said, I'm in desperate straits. He said, somebody's stealing all my money out here, and I need somebody I can trust. Would you come and help me? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been in love with him ever since. He showed me kindness and forgiveness. How can I not reflect the same? That, my friends, is step ten. When I really realized what was wrong, I promptly admitted it. But I was telling you that to tell you this. I was talking to Middlelark one time, and he's a pastor. He's been a minister now for 20 years. And I said, you know, Metalark, I try to live my life as if God's looking over my shoulder every minute. And he said, what do you mean if, Ed? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so step 10 is to keep this temple clean. Step 10 is to keep this temple pure. Step 10 is the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Because you know what happens if you don't keep the temple clean? It gets cluttered slowly but surely. And before you know it, you've shut yourself off from the sunlight of the Spirit. And it gets dark again. You keep it clean, anybody's welcome into your home at any time. You are not embarrassed if somebody just knocks on your door and asks for some help. You know? It's a powerful, powerful step. 
that is often, in my estimation, overlooked and certainly underpracticed. Because in my experience, it's been life-changing, as all the other steps have. And I would suggest to you this, and just don't reject it out of hand, it's just a thought, that if each of them haven't been life-changing yet, you need to do them again. Because this isn't an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual way of life. In the big book, several times it says, specifically, self-knowledge is not the answer. I don't know about you, but for a long time I felt if I know enough, if I study enough, if I read enough, if I search enough, if I seek enough, there's never enough. But there's always God, which is more than enough. And step 10 does something for me I never thought I'd feel. I am enough today. I don't want for anything, really. I am enough. I don't want to be anybody else who I am. Oh, there's some wrinkles I want to iron out with God's help one day at a time. But I like hanging out with me. My little house is out in the country three miles from anybody. And they say, don't it get lonely out there? And I go, nope. Me and God hang out and giggle. We do. I've got a picture of Christ right right above my chair in my living room. And uh, I spend a lot of time sitting there and praying when I get a few minutes. Notice we're moving into step 11. Uh, And I love that picture because some of you may have heard Smitty, Dr. Bob's son, who is a member of Al-Anon in good standing, a wonderful guy, and a dear, dear friend of mine. He, uh, He always used to tell me, Ed... Your tape's the only tape I ever bought. <laughs> and it was true. It was funny. You just, we just hit it off. And uh, Smitty had congestive heart failure and passed away. And I was honored to do his funeral. And I went down to do his funeral in Memphis. And afterwards, his family came to me and said, We'd like you to have this, Ed. And I opened it up, and it was a picture of Christ. And he said, This was Grandpa's. Dr. Bob's favorite picture of Christ that hung over the mantel in his living room at his home in Akron. And Bill and Bob and Ann would always stand and pray before this picture. And uh, God, I was moved. I couldn't believe it, and I thanked them so much. Hangs in my living room now, and I sit there, and uh, I know that I'm praying the same God they prayed to whether by name or not, by spirit for sure. And it's just a complete way of feeling sufficient. God is sufficient to all my needs. So with God in my life, I am sufficient. And step 11, if you're not spending time in prayer and meditation, you simply don't want to get better spiritually. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude. But you have no interest in improving spiritually. You're still on the intellectual drive. Oh, I'll figure it out and I'll get this knowledge. And that's fine for some people. They can stay sober a long time that way. But look into their eyes and you see nothing's home except a quick answer or another quote from some uh, obscure writer. And they're entertaining for themselves, but that's okay. I don't... I don't want to do that. 
I have to work each day to ask God to come into my life and more importantly, remind me how to put my will in his hands. Pages 86, 87, 88, which were read at the uh, meditation yesterday morning, uh, is fascinating. How many read that? Okay. How many read that before the weekend? Yeah. Uh, no, the reason I'm saying that is I was 18 years sober and I was amazed that in those three pages tell me specifically how to live every moment of every second of every minute of every day. How to get up, how to go to bed, what you do when you get confused during the day. And it says the strangest thing I've ever heard. When you get confused or frustrated, relax. Take it easy. Are you kidding? (laughs) Relax and take it easy. i got to figure this out. (laughs) Don't you know the world revolves around my decisions? Relax and take it easy. Take a deep breath. Ask God for inspiration. A thought or an intuitive, intuitive thought or action. That's what it says specifically. If you're not doing that, how can you have a conscious contact with God? I mean, it's right there. The directions, it blew me over. I'd read that book faithfully for 18 years. And all of a sudden I'm going, how's it work? How's it work? How's it work? Duh. Right here, two and a half pages. Been in that book ever since I got it. And managed to miss it every single time. My old friend Chuck used to say, you can't see till you can see and you can't hear till you can hear. And boy, I could see and hear that day. I could see and hear that day. It also says in there that you might pay for this uh, act of faith with all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Well, I want to add this to that. At that time, sponsorship wasn't the big deal it is now. So that's why earlier in the weekend I said sponsorship is good, especially when God's talking to you. Use them kind of as a filter. <laughs> they can take away the self, self, self-obsessed self interest out of there and purify what's going on most of the time. But I also need to tell you that as time goes on, I live an inspired life. I am told to do things daily that I wouldn't do on my own thoughts. And they are all connected It's amazing how they're all connected. I can't tell you how many times I was headed this way and I was told to head that way and I said, no, I need to go this way. I said, no, I need to go that way and that way was the way I needed to go because I ran into somebody who needed to talk to me desperately. I'm down in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas speaking in a convention. That's a thousand miles from Iowa. And uh, me and a bunch of the guys I sponsor and gals I sponsor were walking over to get a sandwich and all of a sudden I heard behind me, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed. And I thought, you know, he's pastor down here. And I turned around, and it was a woman that I'd just done her mother's funeral a week and a half before in Iowa. And she said, you know, I was praying that I could talk to you, and I lost your card. And I said, let's talk. Have a seat. That's the way, that's daily occurrences in my life anymore. And again, it's not because I'm special. It's because I'm trying to follow the directions that have been given me. Same directions that you have. Same relationship you can have. And I remember, I think I told you about Chuck, when I asked how to pray, he said, your every thought's a prayer. Didn't I share that with you? How's that going for you? You know, thinking your every thought's a prayer, uh, 
Would you be pleased if God heard you? Your every thought? Or would you not? And if you're not, don't feel guilty about it. Don't go into all that shame and all that crap that's useless to anybody except to stay more self-obsessed for a while. Oh, I have shame. Well, shame on you. You know, just... (laughs) God. It's like people saying, I have issues. I have issues. Oh, do you have any good housekeeping? You know, I don't. But it's just all these key words that makes me more self-involved so I can live anywhere but today. Anywhere but today. Dr. Bob's best talk, I think, was his last talk, and this is paraphrased, but it's pretty close. 1950, he stood up and he said, let's not louse this thing up with Freudian complexities. Let's keep it simple. What may be of interest to the scientific or medical mind is of little or no use to our actual AA work. He was prophetic. Little or no use. And let's not even bring Freudian complexities into this deal. Let's do this deal. Then if it don't work, go wherever you got to go. It says in the book it encourages you. If you need outside help, go get it. They don't say, make them your God. Make them your answer. It doesn't say that at all. They say God's your answer. God's supposed to be your answer. But if you're not doing step 11 to improve your answer, you're without an answer, so you'll go anyplace. Because there is a desperation among sober people who are full of fear and don't know how to handle that fear and haven't applied these steps in in an effectual manner or a committed manner. You know, it says in the book, we'll we'll go to any length to stay sober. Well, will you still? That was then. What about now? Will you change what you've ingrained in your mind for years, even sober? Will you still go to any length, or are you going to keep saying the same old chapter? Step 11 is a walk in the sun every single day. I do my meditations in the morning, and I love my meditations in the morning. I have a prayer room in my house, thank you, God, where I go and I start every morning, 5.35, somewhere in there. And I just sit and read, and, and, and I thank God for everything. A big part of step 11 to me, I've shared this with a few people, is I thank God for everything that's ever happened in my life. I thank God even for my father's murder. Sounds odd, doesn't it? For those of you who were at the service yesterday, I read that place out of Philippians that says rejoice and thank God for everything in your life. And when I first heard that by two or three different writers, I threw the book at the wall and said, I'm not ever going to thank God for my dad's... That's just stupid. Whoever wrote this obviously didn't have anything happen like that. And one day I was driving down the road and I caught myself saying, God, I want to thank you for my father's murder and all the hurt it caused me and my family and all the sadness. And it hasn't owned me since. Here's what I figured out for me. God didn't cause it. But once I thank God for it and put it in His domain, it's out of my domain. I don't have to analyze it anymore. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And I thank God for everything that happens to me. If somebody rams the side of my car, I'm going to be saying, thank you, God. 
if my plane is delayed one more time like it is every week, (laughs) I'm going to say thank you, God. One of the times my plane was delayed, I was leaving Washington, D.C., and we stood on the runway for five hours. Or, excuse me, three and a half hours. And then we got wheels up sign, and we were taxiing off, and the pilot came on and said, you know, we used too much gas as we were sitting here. we got to go fill up. Okay, so we go back and fill up. And uh, this new flight attendant, who obviously was new, said, oh, if you want to get off and check your flights, go ahead, we'll wait for you. (laughs) Three and a half hours later, we took off. I was sitting across from a guy, and I I looked at him and said, are you okay? He said, you know, it's been tough. He said, my best friend just committed suicide. I'm going out to do his eulogy. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, I just don't know how to do it. Maybe I can help you. He's a guy that does some wonderful things with youth, underprivileged youth in Miami. Nice Jewish guy, wonderful guy. And he emails me all the time. The eulogy went well. And strangers who've never heard my name said, if you ever get in touch with that guy, tell him thank you. Because he told him the story. You see, when I thank God for what's ever happening, it keeps me open to the moment. I'm not thinking what I'd be doing if I'm getting home, how I'm going to get home. Doesn't matter. I'm going to be here either way. Might as well be present. You know, might as well. If I'm going to be here, might as well be here. But I had to work at that. I had to discipline myself. And what we're talking about again, and I know they're distasteful words, uh, at the end of 86, 87, 88, if you read that, it says there's this wonderful line that said, we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. And that really works well. But I need to discipline myself to do that meditation. Reinhold Niebuhr, whom many attribute the serenity prayer to, meditated for an hour every morning. Every morning. No less than an hour. He's going to Chicago and he's talking to his traveling secretary and he says, you know, tomorrow looks like a 20, 22-hour day maybe. And his assistant said, yeah. He said, you know, I better meditate for two hours. What would you and I have done? See your meditation. And yet what he does makes perfect sense. It's going to be more strenuous, so he's going to need more peace and more serenity. So he needs a little bit more meditation. Made me change my mind. What about you? You know? And that's what I've been talking about, prayer and meditation. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of willing to go where I have not yet gone. Willing to see where I have not yet seen. Trust the people that shared it with me that they're... There's, there's nothing in it for them sharing it with me. The only thing they hope is it'll benefit me. How are we doing on time? Ten minutes? Okay. <laughs> Step 12. Behave yourself. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> Step 12. Man. I love Step 12. In the original draft of Step 12, they said, uh, practice these principles in all our affairs. Uh, and wait, continue to carry this message to people, especially alcoholics. 
I kind of prefer that. Mm-hmm. The original draft, that's what it says if you ever read it. My job is not to single me out because I'm a member of AA and please don't come up and tell me you think we're the chosen people. I might puke on you. (laughs) God chose all of us. There is no one who is not chosen, in my opinion. You know? And to practice these principles in all our affairs, when was the last time you went in and saw that newcomer sitting there feeling the same way you did when you were new? And when was the last time you went over and offered your number and a little encouragement? Carrying this message doesn't mean just going to meetings and if someone happens to call you, talk to them. It's carrying the message. Now some people carry the mess. Other people carry the message. I would carry the message. And what the message is, is contained in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12. That's the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. That's the message. How are you carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous? Who are you helping? I hear people say, oh, I'm too busy to help somebody. Then get the hell out of here. Stop taking up a seat, you selfish bastard. (laughs) It ain't about you. It's about them. Our brothers and sisters that are out there dying, and we've been given a gift, and we're a little too busy to even share it. A little too self-absorbed for me. I don't have time for people that don't have time to take a newcomer to a meeting. I'm just not interested in spending much time with you. Because you ain't interested in carrying the message. You're interested in sucking it up and delivering a mess usually at the end. We were talking the other day. Treatment centers throughout North America are being closed down right and left. Barry and I were talking. And I said, you know, it's terrifying because nobody knows what a 12-step call is. People think a 12-step call is verification of insurance and dropping them off at the treatment center. A 12-step call is going into their house with another human being, sitting there in some of the most chaotic circumstances you'll ever find, and carrying them a message of your story and your hope, and asking them to come with you and experience it. You will be swung at, you will be spit at, you will be called names, but you carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. How many in here have ever done that? And that's my point. Nobody knows how to do a 12-step call anymore. They think a 12-step call is making coffee. No, that's making coffee. They think it's mopping the floor. No, that's mopping the floor. 12-step call is carrying this message to the alcoholics who still suffer. Now, granted, a lot of them are right here in the rooms. That's why I do what I do. But I get, I'm blessed, I still get at least one, two 12-step calls a month. I've got several people I sponsor, sober sometime now, never seen the inside of a treatment center. And they come to me sometimes and say, what are they talking about? And I say, you don't need to know let them talk. Keep doing what you're doing. Are you happy? Yeah. You feeling good? Yeah. Just do what you do. 
And when they start coming to you and asking for advice, share it with them. Share it with them because he at four years sober is doing better than most people in there with 15 years sober, still working on their processes and their issues. It's not their fault. That's what they were taught. It just doesn't happen to be alcoholics anonymous. It's nobody's fault. It was a mistake at best. But what we got to do is we got to carry this message. Not something we've contrived up. Not something a treatment center could justify charging you for because they know they can't charge you for AA. And the treatment centers have done wonderful things, especially in their first 20 years. My God, they were helping people right and left, but they're grabbing at straws anymore. And we need to help them. We need to volunteer to bring the message of AA into the hospital again, if they'll allow it. Who are you carrying the message to? Does your neighbor know you're sober? What if she's dying of alcoholism? You know, they talk about anonymity all the time. Anonymity isn't in these rooms. Dr. Bob said that wonderfully. He said, you know, we're so anonymous in AA, people are dying. He said, we're not anonymous. That's why I use my last name. It's a little hard to call up information and say, can you give me Big Ed's number? <laughs> no, Big Ed goes to meetings, that guy. <laughs> Usually won't get my number. However, I get mailed to Big Ed, to Reverend Ed, yeah. Reverend Ed M, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's our job. We've been given a gift. And there's a lot of people of the school that says, you know, the more you give, the more you're rewarded. I didn't come here to get rewarded. I have been rewarded. I came here to share what I've been given. I don't want anything back. That's between you and God. I have nothing to do with that. I've already been overpaid. I'm not doing it so I'll feel better. Your pain doesn't make me feel better. Your joy does. But I do it because that's what I've been given. I've been given the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and I get to go all over the world and share a message of hope, of peace, of love and forgiveness and restoration or in my case, having a life for the first time in my life. A life that's had some tough bumps in it. You know, the greatest part about this program is when somebody's just getting their butt kicked and they stay in these rooms anyway. You know what that means? This program works, even when you're getting your butt kicked. I remember I was... 20 years sober, I guess. 18 years sober when I met this girl and we went together for five years and we got engaged. Before we got engaged, I said, you know, I need you to do something. I need you just to take 30 days, stay away from me, I'll stay away from you, and you, you figure out any reason there is that you would have to divorce me or leave me. And if there's any one reason, I'll just leave you alone. But if there isn't, I'd love you to marry me. And I want you just to take your time for 30 days. I didn't say a word. And the 30 days, she called me and she said, Ed, you know, you're just an amazing man. There's just nothing I can think of that would ever make me not want to marry you. So we got engaged and I found the thing that she didn't think of. <laughs> I got a bill from the IRS for $52,000.
and uh, I could see it in her eyes immediately. And uh, we ended that relationship. And for about the next three to four years, there wasn't a day when I didn't sob, sometimes on my knees uncontrollably. But I knew it wasn't about the steps didn't work. I knew it was about I put all my love in the wrong spot. I didn't keep any for God or any for me. And she's a terrific lady, and you know what? I still absolutely love her, but I have no expectations of it anymore. You know? And I'd go to meetings and people say, My God, for crying out loud, you're 23 years sober now. Shouldn't you be behaving a little better? (laughs) And you know what? Maybe they had a point, but the way I saw it was, I haven't drank today. I haven't blown my brains out. And I'm continuing to do what I'm supposed to be doing in spite of my broken heart. That proves to me that Alcoholics Anonymous works even when it's so painful you can't see. Because drinking and using is not an option for me anymore. Suicide and depression are no longer options for me. I've removed them off the table. Every one of those guys who gave me a hard time about shouldn't you behave better are drunk. Gone. I remember when I, my father was murdered and two guys sat down with me and they said, how are you feeling? And I told them how I was feeling at that point. And how you feel when somebody's murdered when you were raised the way I was is you got to even score, you got to fight them out, you got to blow their damn brains out. You just got to find them. You got to turn over every rock, you got to find them. And I told them that and they got up and walked away and said, I thought you had a good program. Left. What they didn't understand is I had an excellent program because I was telling them. And I didn't confide in anybody in AA for a while until I found my sponsor after that because I thought, man, if I can't talk about how I'm really feeling here, where can I go? And this is the best place I've ever been. So I believe they carried the mess rather than the message. And the 12 steps are for everybody. You know there's over 236 different registered 12-step groups now? 236. When we say it'll work for everybody, I think that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? 236. I had a member of my congregation. I got a call one morning, and my friend had gotten some bad news. They said, can you come over? And I said, sure, and I walked in. I saw my friend Tammy there, and I knew that. Look, she's ready to blow her braids out. And I said, oh, honey, what's going on? She said, I've embezzled a lot of money, and they've just caught me, and I can't go through this. And I said, let's go for a walk. We walked around the block, and I put my arm around her shoulder, and I said, I need to tell you that I just love and adore you, and that no matter what happens, I'm going to be here. And I believe in you. By the end of the day, she'd given up on the idea of suicide, took her through the 12 steps. She went and pled guilty, made restitution. Now she does seminars for people who have problems with stealing. She has her own little business that's a baby business that's booming. And her husband and her children are all doing well because of the message of Alcoholics Anonymous.
I'm so pleased you let me be a part of that. I'm so pleased that when I walked in the door and was just repulsive in every way you could be repulsive, that you didn't say you're not welcome here. One group did. But I remember the ones that didn't. And they looked me right in the eye and they welcomed me in and they offered me a cup of coffee. And I was telling them, uh, if you ever go to Founders Day, and I hope you go in Akron sometime. It's just, I didn't go for a number of years, and I wish, I go, I'll go every chance I get. Every time I'm not speaking, I hope to go again. Because it was a wonderful experience. There was like 11,700 people there. And uh, it's a big deal in the city of Akron. It's on the June 10th weekend, closest to that. And the city bus drivers, if they see your badge, they'll go, welcome home. Welcome home. So this weekend, if you've been having a tough journey, if your heart's been broken, if you've had some sadness or if you've just been lost, I say to you, welcome home. Welcome home to the 12 steps that will change your life in any way you want it changed. Welcome home to the chance you always wanted to start fresh and new. Welcome home to the finest person you've ever met, which, believe it or not, will be you if you do what we ask. Thank you very much. I just, I just really love, and it kind of expresses a, a sentiment and a, and a relationship with God that I, 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 I long to have and indeed do have today. And the lyrics go, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. And the tune, I want you guys to help me. Ready? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Now those of you who didn't know, join in. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Sanctuary for you. Now this time, I only want the people to sing who want it to be their song. <laughs> Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Sanctuary for you. Let's give God a hand. <laughs>